what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So much of the journey that I've been on all comes from what happened on June 14th and how unprepared I was for that. Hey, I'm AC Rowe. This is The Doc Project. June 14th, 2020. One year ago. Just about exactly. That's the day Sarah Dubray and her husband Matt's daughter was born. It was also a day Sarah was never sure would happen. For a few reasons. We didn't know if we wanted to have kids. We didn't have a set life plan of, you know, we're going to get married at this age, and a couple years after that, we'll start trying. It was never completely off the table, but it wasn't something that we talked about all the time. This changed when Sarah was in her late 20s. She was diagnosed with endometriosis, a condition that sometimes comes with fertility struggles. And her doctor said if she and Matt wanted kids, they should start thinking about it sooner rather than later. It was sort of one of those moments where when the possibility of something is taken away, it really hits you how much that hurts you. So it made me realize I actually do really want to be a mom. That led to lots of conversations with my partner. And, you know, luckily he felt the same way. And then when we felt like it was the right moment to to start trying, we were excited. Um, it was like, OK, we want it to be now. We want this. We're ready for this baby. Let's do this. And just like that, a life plan formed. One with expectations and hopes and dreams about that moment she would get to meet her daughter. Sarah figured getting pregnant would be the difficult part. After that, she thought she had a pretty good sense of how things were going to go. But she had no idea. Nobody had ever talked to Sarah about what could go wrong. Now, she's telling this story because... She's realized the only way to get other people to open up is if she does. Okay, Sarah will take us back to the beginning. We did need fertility help, so we tried a drug for ovulation for a while without a lot of luck. What ended up helping us the most was in July of 2019, I ended up having a laparoscopic surgery for endometriosis. And that also involved um, kind of a cleaning out of my uterus and fallopian tubes, all things that would help us be able to conceive. And a few months after the surgery, um, we found out that we were expecting. I was in shock. When I saw the test result, I kind of just did a double take and my parents were actually visiting at the time. And so I like sneakily like called Matt in the bathroom and I showed him and I remember him being excited and like giving me a big hug and me saying like, no, no, wait, like calm down. We don't know for sure. It's just this test from the pharmacy. Like you got to go buy more tests today before we feel anything. I'm going to pee on more sticks and we're going to make sure... I was fully expecting to not be pregnant in that moment, and then I was. And so it, it took a little bit for it to set in for me um, that, it, that it was real. But it really was that first ultrasound when you see the baby. You're like, oh my gosh, that's my baby. I'm, we're really having a baby. I had a really great pregnancy. I... Um, I felt pretty great throughout the whole thing. We decided that we wanted to find out the gender. Uh, I would say that was like a highlight. We found out that we were having a baby girl and 
we started having all the fun conversations about who she was going to be. Um, was she going to play sports like us? Was she going to play ringette? Were we going to put her in hockey? Would she be musical like her dad? Who would she look like? Like me, like Matt, or like, like a mix of us. From the moment that um, we found out we were having a girl, we named her Cecilia. Um, we call her Cece. And we nicknamed her that while she was in the womb. So when we were having these these conversations, you can't help but imagine and get excited about, about your child's future. Oh my gosh, this one. It's like very 90s. Cats and hair bands and high ponytails with hearts and stars as the backdrop. I'm sitting in our home office with my mom. She's here visiting and we're sitting here looking through these old birthday cards of mine. 12 years ago today, and did I ever have dot, 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 and I wrote the best girl in the world. Uh, I always knew that my birthday was so special to my mom because she wrote me these cards um, every year on my birthday, and they all said something similar. On your 13th birthday, 13 years ago today, dot, 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 always alluding to how amazing that day was, letting you fill in the blanks in your thoughts. Yeah, I think that one's my favorite, the one that just says dot, 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 because... You knew that I knew what you were going to write because you wrote the yeah. same thing every single year yeah. on every single card. Yeah. For me, that card means that like you love my birthday. Is that is that why you wrote it or why did you write it? I I just remember that day so well. There's no other day that is implanted in my memory like that day. And I every year on your birthday, all day, I'd be thinking, this is amazing. And seven years ago or 10 years ago or... 25 years ago and it all was such a strong memory and such a good memory the best memories it's so sweet how much my birthday means to my mom and i was really looking forward to having that same feeling with my own daughter i was also looking forward to having that post-birth photo um, with me and Cece and Matt. It's a photo that I feel like I've seen on social media a thousand times. On Instagram, you know, you see the, the mom and she looks tired and in her arms, all cozied up, all swaddled up is this brand new baby, all squishy and cuddled in. And, you know, the other parent is you know, leaning over the bed. It's also that scene that you see, you know, not just in, in real life, in real people's photos, but it's also in, in movies and in, in television, the sitcoms that, you know, the, the birth scene is like, uh, you know, there's pushing and screaming, cut away to a different scene. All of a sudden you're back in the hospital room and, you know, there's, there's the, the perfectly clean and beautiful baby and everyone just looks so you know relaxed and at peace to to be together those are the sort of things that I pictured that I had in my mind of what of what that birthday would look like and in our birth plan our our doula um encouraged us to to set the scene of you know what we wanted the atmosphere to be like what we wanted the room to be like and part of that was creating a playlist of music that we would enjoy and that would make us feel calm and relaxed. These are the places I will always go These are the places I will always go Everyone knows labor and delivery can be painful, but I was really focused on, you know, no matter what, um, 
happens. It's this many hours. It's, it's that. And, um, and then Cece will be placed on my chest and we will have her and we will meet her. And I looked forward to that moment. It was also talked about in the birthing class and with my doula in terms of that being a, a, an important bonding moment. And I remember writing on the birth plan that one thing that we really wanted was, you know, for her to be immediately um, placed uh, on me and not cleaned off or, or anything just immediately given to me. So that was sort of the, the moment that I was most looking forward to. What I imagined um, her birth would be like was nothing like how it played out. She was 10 days late, and um, but I wasn't induced. I went into uh, labor naturally. There was a, a really beautiful sunrise that morning. I remember waking him up at one point saying, take a picture of the sunrise because this is the sunrise on the day that she's born. So we have that, have that picture. And probably not too long after that, that I started pushing. And I think the craziest thing for me that I had to wrap my head around um, after everything was just how like normal and fine and great everything seemed um, right up until it wasn't. All of a sudden her heart rate dropped, the tone in the room shifted to we have to get her out right away. I did an episiotomy, uh, got the vacuum. All that happened within, I want to say seconds, felt like seconds. Um, Cece was pulled out and placed on me for like a nanosecond. Um, and she didn't look okay. Her coloring was off. We knew something was seriously wrong. And she was scooped up and surrounded by doctors and a, a team from the, the neonatal unit who had been called in. And, um, and then they got to work on um, um, clearing out her, her lungs because she had swallowed a significant amount of meconium and she had also had the, the cord um, around her, her neck. When they took her and were working on her, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't see her. I was crying, um, and just asking, um, over and over again if she was okay. The doctor who did the delivery kept saying, she's okay, she's okay. But it didn't feel like all that reassuring because there was a lot of chaos in the room. I couldn't see her. I had no idea what was going on. Um, I had just had that quick glimpse of her and she didn't look healthy. After they had um, cleared her, her lungs, they wheeled her over to my bed for a quick moment, and I was able to put my hand through the hole in the, the incubator and touch her very quickly. It was incredibly brief before they wheeled her um, to the NICU, and it was awful. You know, when you've just given birth, all you want to do is be with your baby. And not only was I not with her, but I didn't know where she was. I mean, I knew she was the NICU, but I didn't know 
where that was in relation to me. I didn't know what they were doing to her. I didn't know if she was okay. I didn't know, you know, anything. I didn't know anything. Um, and, you know, meanwhile, I'm getting stitches and I'm on the, the, the table and I just want to go and I'm asking them if I can go and they're telling me that I, I can't. Um, in part, you know, I had an epidural, you can't, you have to wait a certain amount of time before you can walk. And I was bleeding, so they had to get that under control first. Um, they kept saying, you know, you'll be able to go in an hour, um, which felt like an impossible amount of time in that moment. And that got extended to another hour and... I was calling Matt, like, what's going on? And, you know, he was trying to tell me and he, you know, came back at, at one point to tell me, you know, she's still alive. Um, and there's doctors assessing her and um, and I would appreciate that he came in to tell me that, but we would be like, get back with her, like, go, go be with her. Um, but of course, then, you know, I was by myself. Um and when you're in a hospital, um, in a birthing room, you're lying on a bed and there's this like giant clock on the wall at the end of your bed. Um, so I was literally watching like seconds and minutes go by as I'm being told, you know, you have to wait this long before you can get up and then this long before you can go um, see her. And you're just like watching the clock tick by, which just made it that much more <laughs> frustrating and, and painful, I guess. Yes, that's a day that I will never forget. At some point, while I was still in the birthing room and Matt was in the NICU with Cecilia, the doctor asked me if there was someone that I wanted to call. And the cell phone rang and I jumped for it. It was very close to me. And I said, hi. And you said, these words I'll never forget. You said, mom, things didn't go so well. And I remember my knees giving out underneath me and I sort of grabbed onto something and, and I'm not being dramatic. I just put my hands to my mouth and went into a room where I could speak to you without any disruptions. And your dad came in. And we put you on speakerphone. And you started telling us, although you were just so, so tired and so confused. And then a doctor took the phone. And... Um, and she filled us in on the details, and I just, and then we talked to you, and it really, that whole phone call was a blur. A blur for me, um, with one moment, um, probably the worst moment um, seared into my brain was being in the maternity ward um, when the doctor um, came to talk to us about how she was doing and he kept saying you know the next 24 hours are critical the next 24 hours are critical and I was trying to understand what that meant and at one point just asked him straight straight up are you worried that she might die like why are you saying the next 24 hours are, are critical and he said they didn't know um, that they they couldn't guarantee that uh, that she was going to make it through the night. It's really ingrained in my mind, like um, I'm, I'm seen from like a movie or like a scene of something that happened to somebody else and not to us because it was just so scary and it was just... Yeah, one of the worst moments of my of, of my life. Um, and that was, you know, just hours after my daughter was born and before I had gotten to spend any time with her. It, it is one of 
the most vivid memories that I have from her birthday and and I wish that it wasn't. The first week was so, so different from what parenting classes prepare you for. You know, you're imagining sleepless nights and figuring out giving them a bath and diapers and snuggling in bed. And, you know, instead we ended up spending the first uh, almost two weeks of her life at at the hospital. Once she made it through those first critical 24 hours, the next concerns were she might have a brain injury from the lack of oxygen at birth. Um, luckily, the team at the NICU acted really quickly in the hours after her birth, and they put her on um, a cooling mat for a treatment that keeps the baby's body uh, cool. Um, and the idea is that it is is to mitigate brain injury. But as a parent, what that meant um, was that we couldn't hold her. She had to lay um, still on the mat for 72 hours. We were assured that it was not painful for her, but you could see that it wasn't comfortable for her. I mean, she was a newborn. She was hours old, and she was there in her diaper just looking so small and so frail, and she was cold. And I will, you know, never forget and what it felt like to stand there um, and have to watch that. And we sang to her. We, you know, would touch her, her put our hands on, on her, her feet and on her head. Um, we would talk to her and comfort her, you know, to the best of our ability. But all you want to do is, is, is cuddle her up and, and have her with you and warm her up and, and have her be comfortable. So that was really, really hard. And we also couldn't spend the night with her. So we had to go home every day. And that goes against every feeling, every fiber, every everything in your body, your soul is telling you to be with your baby and and you can't. Every night when we would say goodnight to her, I would feel like I was like breaking into a million pieces and would just struggle to drag myself out of her room to get myself home to get that rest and then you know wake up bright and early and and get back there but just to physically be near her again was like it was a relief every every morning we got to finally spend the, our first night with her when we were transferred from the NICU um, to the children's ward. So we brought things. We were able to like bring clothes and, and put some clothes on her and her swaddle blankets from home. And it was our first night with her, but it was weird because it was like in the hospital and we were still you know, being checked in on with nurses. And it was a strange, strange couple of, of weeks and just so so different um, from what we had planned. And once we were able to go home, um, we were so excited. We, you know, I, I filmed a little video of us. Um, she's in her car seat and we're going down the elevator at the hospital and, and getting off. Guess who's going home? Cece. And it, it was kind of surreal. Let's do it. And Matt. <laughs> and me. We did it. Bye. <laughs> I think that in those first few weeks and 
even months, I, th I thought that I was okay. I thought, um, you know, I'd been through this big thing, but here we were, you know, doing an awesome job as new parents and, and enjoying that. But then as time went on, that started to shift for me a little bit um, when the 14th of every month would hit and it's like, oh, you're one month old today, you're two month old today. Uh, on those days, you know, it's normal, I think, to, to remember the birthday and there were mixed feelings because of course I had the feelings of, oh, my baby's already one month old. She's already two months old and like just this overwhelming like gratitude um, that I had her and you know that we were just so lucky to be at this this milestone but there was also like a heaviness um, in in remembering those early moments of, of her life when I thought about giving birth I would feel anxious you know if I saw something on TV, it felt like everything I turned on like suddenly had a birth scene in it and and I would want to skip past it or not watch it and like I didn't really want to see like a, a blissful birth scene and be reminded of like what I didn't have. There were a few moments um, where I really realized, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not okay. AC here. Coming up, Cece is okay. But Sarah, she's not. And she's not sure what's wrong. That's next. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. I knew about postpartum depression, but I was convinced I, I didn't have postpartum depression because I was engaged with CC. I was um, having fun. I was still enjoying everything. But when I would get a moment alone, um, when I would be in the shower, I would get hit with these intense flashbacks of really vivid images from her birth. I could see her when she was placed on me for that, for that brief second when she looked so sick. Um, I can see what color she was and that that gray tone um, that she had. I flash back to seeing her um, lying in the in the incubator in the hospital, covered in wires and 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 intubated. That image would just hit me um, in a quiet moment in my day. And around the 14th of every month, that would happen more frequently. I felt embarrassed and even ashamed of how I was feeling. I felt like I should be moving on. Um, I was I was so lucky. My daughter was healthy. I was healthy. Um, I was so aware, I am still so aware of how much worse it can be for other families and how much some people go through. Um, and, you know, we were at home. Um, we were enjoying our days together. And so why was I stuck on one day? Why did I keep coming back to one day when I had so much to be grateful for um, because they were moments and they didn't last. Um, I would downplay it, just sort of, oh, I, that was nothing, um, just kind of 
try to just move on and, and pretend like it didn't happen and sort of I would mention a thing or two to Matt, but I really downplayed how I was feeling. I didn't even really talk about it with some of my closest friends. I have a good friend who we've been friends for, gosh, since we were like three years old. Um, Her name is Kristen Faulkner, and she lives in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And we were pregnant at the same time, and when Cece was born, she was do a few weeks after that and when I talked to her before her due date I had no idea what to tell her about what I'd been through I didn't want to scare her I didn't want to add to any anxiety she might already be feeling Um, I really didn't know how to talk about it you, I mean, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but you were probably just like, wow, that was like very difficult. And she has like no idea. And then there was probably an element of me being like, I wonder how bad it like could have been. When we were able to sit down face to face and talk, that was a real turning point for me. Both of our babies were born at this point and we started chatting um, and sharing our our stories. If people ask about my birth, I'm often, when I give the like concise version, I'm often like, yeah, I was in labor for 38 hours and then I had a C-section. That's the like polite version. Um, And then I've also kind of joked that if I did have a birth plan, which was, you know, in my head, in my partner's head, I'm kind of a textbook case for like everything that I wanted didn't happen. I just had this expectation that your water breaks and it's really obvious. So I got an ultrasound and my water had been broken for like two or three days, like a dangerous amount of time. I had to make decisions about how I wanted to be induced. But in the end, I had to try everything. So that like that led to my 38 hours in labor. And because I was in labor for so long, I got an infection and then my baby got the infection. So we ended up having an emergency cesarean. I was so crushed for them that their birth was also difficult, that their birth wasn't, you know, what they hoped for. And, you know, I got to say to her um, just how sorry I was that, that her story hadn't gone how she had imagined and how much that that broke my heart knowing what I had been through and it didn't take long before I kind of just broke down. It it was intense, really intense. I remember, you know, you getting emotional and me being like, in that moment when I saw, saw you like breaking down a bit more, I felt like something opening up in a positive way. Coming out of that conversation and having that space to have that conversation with her, it was a positive thing for me because it was the sort of last moment before I said, um, you know, I, I would like to start therapy. I still had those feelings of embarrassment, of shame, but I knew... Um, I knew it was time and I found the right person to help me work through what I was feeling. My name is Rosa Capricci. I'm a licensed uh, psychotherapist here in Quebec and I have a private practice in Montreal where I specialize in reproductive mental health. This was the first time that I've done therapy and The first time that I spoke to Rosa, it was obvious to her that I did need help. So I remember uh, in meeting you the first time, it was just um, a sense of desolation um, that what you experienced was far and away completely different than what you anticipated. Um, And what is a contaminant uh, feeling for all of these women I work with is the shame that accompanies that 
which is particularly destructive. Rosa helped me understand that I had PTSD from Cece's birth. With respect to PTSD, um, as it relates to birth trauma, if there are um, if the person is experiencing flashbacks, if the person feels that they are living the experience uh, vividly, it's as though they are uh, living the experience uh, again. If there is hypervigilance, if the person is startles easily, if the person has recurring nightmares, um, and it, if it negatively affects the person's overall functioning, those are telltale signs of a post-traumatic uh, stress reaction. She explained to me that when CC was placed on me in the moment where the doctor told me he couldn't guarantee if CC would make it through those first 24 hours, in those difficult moments, I didn't know that things were going to be okay. I didn't have the ability to fast forward four or five months and, you know, see my thriving daughter and see us playing happily at home. I couldn't know that. And so that's when the trauma hit me, when my body held on to that pain. And it was really validating to have her explain that to me, to have her say that it's okay, that I wasn't okay with what happened. Together, we started reframing June 14th, reframing Cece's birth. Rosa would give it to me kind of as homework um, to tell me to think about moments that stood out to me as happy moments um, from the day Cece was born. I would think about the sunrise of, you know, feeling so strong, like, I can do this, I'm going to have a baby today, and I can do this. It would help remind me um, that it wasn't all bad, that there was some good in there, too. She also asked me um, to think about moments where I felt proud of me and Matt for how we supported each other, um, through the most difficult time in our lives. And that activity <laughs> truly saying that I was proud of myself, proud of how I was as a mom in those days, even if I wasn't being a mom in the way that I had imagined, but that I was proud of, of the way I was doing it, that I am proud of how I did it. That's really helped how I think about June 14th. When I came to you, I felt a bit hesitant, um, like maybe I, I shouldn't need therapy to get over this. Um, and I'm wondering how common of an experience that is uh, from what you see. It occurs more often than we care to acknowledge. About uh, 30% of women uh, have um, experienced uh, trauma during childbirth, labor and delivery. Like so many things that are perinatal-oriented um, uh, during uh, conception, uh, during the pregnancy and postpartum, these are conditions, disorders, and issues that tend to be um, underdiagnosed and therefore undertreated. Because I think even in 2021, we have this mistaken notion uh, that uh, pregnancy, having babies is always uh, a joyful event. And that does not begin uh, to, to address the reality on, on the ground. And that's what I see coming through my door and sitting on my couch. I wish people spoke more about the birth process as being like sometimes staying in the hospital for five days, sometimes baby going into the NICU and, and, um, that that's like part of bringing your baby into the world and that that's despite being close friends with Kristen for basically our entire lives 
I didn't know how to talk to her about Cece's birth when Kristen was pregnant. I didn't know how many details I should give her. She was just weeks away from her own due date, and I felt this need to protect her. I know now that that wasn't helpful. I know now that Kristen wishes that she heard more stories like mine ahead of her own due date. Because I felt like a lot of the the prenatal classes that I attended and information I absorbed was like, let's try to prevent that, which I understand. But normalizing that there's like a lot of um, moments bringing the baby into the world and then like all the many stages after. And it's not just like this Hollywood version of you give birth in a specific way and then your baby's like given to you. I've decided to be honest if someone asks about Cece's birth and I will answer that it was difficult and traumatic. And I've been so surprised at how many people say, oh, mine was too, or me too, or um, tell me a story about someone close to them that also had a, had a difficult birth. It's like, almost, it feels like it happens so often kind of blown me away but to my therapist Rosa this sounded really familiar it's the dirty little secret so the floodgates open when when the person summons up the courage uh, to share their own story they themselves become advocates within their own little circles once you start sharing the reality of your experience you know the the uh, the veil is dropped uh, but you know, initially, there's that um, silence that predominates uh, because I think we're against a formidable foe, and that is that industry. All of the social media, the celebrities, television shows. I love you so much, dude. Oh my God. Congratulations, you two. Beautiful. It's so great. You're amazing. She's beautiful. <laughs> Oh my God, she's here. She's perfect. Oh, she's so tiny. (laughs) From the first loving touch, everything that touches your baby should be this comforting. It all makes it very glamorous. We have to stop sending the message that uh, pregnancy labor and delivery, postpartum is only ever a beautiful thing. Of course, there are beautiful moments, but it's really hard work. And we, we need to support parents. I've noticed that when I open up even just a little bit, that there's a relief for them as they share with me, as they tell me something that sometimes it feels like they've been holding on to for years and creating that space for other people feels really good and I want to keep doing that. I want people to be able to talk about their birth experience no matter what it was. I want them to be able to share the realities, the different, the so many different realities of childbirth and I'm able to do this now in large part, thanks to Rosa. I can revisit those memories and I can sit in them and they can feel awful and they're they're always going to be difficult, but I'm able to come out of them like lighter and quicker than I could before. And that feels pretty amazing to me. So I just wanted to say thank you. I'm I'm so, I'm so glad uh, that you're that you found your voice uh, because that's literally <laughs> figuratively what you've done for me. It's always a privilege to be able to, to accompany uh, strong women as my grief is that they were uh, undone um, by something that should never have happened in the first place. So I'm, I'm glad you discovered yourself and what you are doing is actually uh, illustrative of what we refer to as post-traumatic growth that you have reintegrated the story, made it your own, and that uh, you feel empowered um, 
as a consequence. So much has changed in a year. Cece is reaching her milestone. She's doing really, really well. Um, But she continues to be followed by a team at the neonatal clinic because of the lack of oxygen that she had at birth. There could be something that shows up in her development um, one day. She had an MRI and the results were good and doctors are really confident about her health. But because of the treatment that she received, it's sort of an automatic program where she's followed um, up until she's five years old. So we have appointments pegged to major milestones. But so far, there's no sign um, of any lasting impact from her birth trauma. As for me and my trauma, I no longer dread the 14th of every month. And I'm really excited to celebrate Cece's first birthday. But I am still thinking about those birthday cards from my mom. Her experience just seems so different from mine. For me, I I still can't imagine ever having the best day ever feeling about that day. And you used the word amazing. Um, was it an amazing, good, happy birth? The physical was not amazing. No, not at all. Um, and when I was in labor with you, there was lots of moments that were just quite, quite emotional and hard and physically exhausting. Uh, when it was done and I met you, I was still in pretty rough shape. So your dad held you a long time. And I was watching, kind of removed from the situation because it wasn't an easy birth. So after all these years, amazing still stands out. It was amazing. Yes. For me right now, anyways, like I would never use the word amazing. Amazing would be a word I'm attaching to those moments many years later. At that moment, if someone had asked me how it went, amazing would not have been a word I would have chosen. Um, And then you get caught up in the healing. And it's a long time before it's amazing. A really long time. Now, I think it's a miracle, and I think it's amazing. Uh, But, you know, the last time I gave birth was 34 years ago, 33 years ago. And the outcome of the birth and the result that I have you and your brothers outweighs the experiences that I went through giving birth to all three of you really yes for me right now imagining writing in her card like 12 years ago today or 13 years ago today it doesn't seem like some a feeling that that I will ever have I'm not sure exactly what age I started I have a it's in a seven-year-old birthday card maybe that's when the moment of amazing washed over me maybe that's the first time maybe before that I didn't really look at it that way and maybe one day you'll just have that feeling come over you I hope I hope you do Since that conversation with my mom, I've been thinking more about that word, amazing, and how it doesn't have to mean beautiful or wonderful. And another conversation that I had just the other day also got me thinking. I shared my story with a parent who pointed out how these traumatic births can can really make you think about the fragility of life. And that really hit home for me because 
so many times over the past year, I've just looked at CC and felt so grateful that she's here. We we came far too close to losing her. And so the 14th, her birthday, will always come with painful memories for me. There's no denying that it was a traumatic day. And I still get flashbacks when I think about her birthday. But what's different now is how I can cope with that, how I can deal with it, and how I can move on. When I think about how everyone came together that day, how the medical teams worked hard to save her life, I think about our friends and family who were there for us, who who dropped baskets of food off at the hospital, who drove to Montreal to take care of us while we took care of her. I feel so supported. I feel good. I don't know how I'm going to feel when I wake up on June 14th. I don't know if that feeling of amazing will just wash over me, if it'll be this year, if it'll be in five years, or if I'll ever see, you know, Cece's birthday the way my mom sees mine. But what I do know, what I'm feeling right now, if there's a feeling washing over me, it's that I feel grateful. I feel so grateful that she's here. And that's really all that matters. Hi, Cece. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, are you going to practice walking? Wow. A shoe? Hey! You find a shoe? Wow! Hey! Oh, big hug! Are you giving Mama a big hug? Thank you! It does hurt. See, can you say Mama? Mom. Mom. <laughs> Sarah Dubray. Sarah is the senior producer of Daybreak, CBC Montreal's morning show. That doc was produced by Sarah and Sherry Okeke. It was edited by me, AC Rowe, and mixed by me with Tanera McLean. Earlier, you heard music by The Head and the Heart with their song, Down in the Valley, from Sarah's playlist. That's all for us this week. The Doc Project is produced by Sherry Okeke, Tanera McLean, Allison Cook, Andrew Friesen, Kent Hoffman, and me. Althea Manassin is our digital producer. Our senior producer is Jennifer Warren, and our executive producer is Joan Melanson. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.